0: So on my downtime, there's some things that I love to do. Uh, and one thing is I love to watch and learn about new things on YouTube. Now, some things that I watch, I watch uh, cooking shows. Uh, uh, and especially when I'm eating something, I always have something on. If, I, if I'm eating by myself, I have something on. So uh, it feels like although I'm, I'm eating instant ramen noodles, right? It feels like I'm eating a five course meal. I, I put something on nice. Um, Another thing that I love watching is actually these documentaries or shows about special forces. And the reason I like those those um, <laughs> documentaries or shows is because I just wonder, I've never been to the Army. I know a couple of you guys have been to the Army, so you know, it, you probably see it in a very different way. But for me, it's so surreal, right? The training, the things that that they do. And, and all the, the, the suffering that they go through. And I ask myself, of course, I'm, I'm eating something while I'm watching this, and, and like, I ask myself, you know, would I be able to endure all that? How far would I actually go? And if I had the opportunity to go to boot camp or to, to, to serve for our country, how far would I, would I go? And there are multiple times you know, throughout the show, I say, okay, that's, that's when I'll ring the bell. That's when I'll, I'll quit. I have no idea why those people are going that far, right? It, it, it almost seems insane that they would endure all that suffering. And then I just, I close my laptop, and then I fall to sleep. Yeah, it's, it's so surreal, right? But here's the question. How far would you go for Christ? How much will you endure? And for a lot of us, this is irrelevant because it just sounds so surreal because we live in the United States a a country that is built on freedom because we live in the most most wealthiest country in the world a lot of us when we hear the word persecution when we hear the word suffering it's it's hard for us to relate to and so many of us we have this picture this idea of suffering we understand that it's in the bible however when we think about it, it's just you know it's something that will never happen in our life just like I'm watching this documentary, but deep down inside, I know, you know most likely I'll never go through that type of training. So it's a very you know, pointless question, but is it really? That question, how far are you willing to go for Christ, is that a pointless question, especially for people who are living in the United States? Well, in today's passage, we, we meet a church, one of the seven churches that Christ writes to in the book of Revelation. And it's a very unique church. There's two things that, that you will notice when you read about this church. The first thing is that this church is, is extremely healthy. The church of Smyrna is incredibly healthy. Out of the seven churches that are mentioned in Revelation 2 and 3, five churches, they are rebuked. They are corrected. They are criticized. I mean, there is definitely encouragement, but Jesus, he kind kinds of sends a warning message. He, he tells them, wake up. Know be alert. You you got to get it together. Um, but to two churches, the church of Smyrna and the church of Philadelphia, just does not say anything bad. No criticism. No correction. Everything is positive. You no, know, Jesus is really pleased with this church. And it's interesting because this church is not mentioned in the Book of Acts. It doesn't have the reputation nor the leadership of the church of Ephesus. It doesn't have the, the, the resources, the financial resources, and, and, and the money of, of Laodicea. Smyrna is, is just this small church that is faithfully following Jesus Christ. It's a church that's incredibly healthy. But the second thing that we notice about this church is it's a church that's under incredible suffering. They are going through incredible hardships. Now we know from the previous chapter, the opening chapter of the book of Revelation, that uh, John, the one who's writing this letter, who's seeing this vision and communicating this letter to the seven churches, he himself is in tribulation. He's on this island because he was proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. Because of the word of God, it says that he is in exile, he's in tribulation, and he calls these Christians in the seven churches, well, fellow brothers, fellow people who are in tribulation so the idea is that these christians in the first century they are under great stress they are under great persecution there's a website called open doors usa there's their organization and on their website they have this list called the world's watch list and what it does is it lists out the top 50 countries where it's most difficult to live as a christian number one is north korea Number two is Afghanistan. And, and then the list goes on and on. Uh, based on the country's politics and, and the religion, they list out all these different countries and, and explain how hard it is to live as a Christian. And they, they publish that, that resource every year. Now, if this organization existed and they were publishing um, a document in the first century about the cities, especially in Asia Minor, Smyrna would be number one on the list. It's, it's, the, it's the church that is facing the most persecution out of the seven. First of all, Smyrna, it's, it's not just a pagan godless city, but it's a city that's extremely loyal to the Roman Empire. Uh, they don't just like the Roman Empire, but they, they are devoted. They actually worship the emperor. In AD 23, this is an interesting fact that happened in history. There were 11 cities that kind of fought to, to to make a temple for um, uh, one of one of the emperors and um, out of the 11 cities Smyrna was the one that that was picked because they were known as a city to be loyal to the Roman emperor and so they had this reputation and Jesus has the reputation of being a criminal he was crucified on the cross by Roman soldiers what was his well what, what was his charge treason he claimed to be a king, and so he's just this criminal, and Christians are people who follow this, this criminal, and so the Romans did not like Jesus. On top of that, you have the Jews who are kind of influenced by uh, the people who, who love Rome. They don't like uh, these Christians either because they think they are a threat to Judaism, and, and so in this small city, you have all these pagans, you have all these Jews who are just hating on Christians. They, they don't like Christians. And that's probably why these Christians are living in poverty. Uh, I'm not sure if it's still the case, but when I went to Egypt in 2008, um, it, it was eye-opening, it was shocking. Egypt is predominantly a, a Muslim country. Uh, actually, in your ID card, it says whether or not you are um, a Muslim or if you are a Christian. There's about 10% of Coptic Christians in, in Egypt. And the reason why they have that on their ID card is because based on your religion, you would get discriminated. If you are a Christian, you can't get the nice jobs. You can't get the proper education. You have limits when it comes to your success. Because of that, there's this famous city right outside of Cairo that's called Garbage City. And that's where the Christians live. Because they can 't get any formal education because it 's so hard to 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 find a job that that would feed their families, what they do is they gather all the garbage from the city and they kind of go through all the garbage to see if they can recycle some stuff and literally, if you go to that city on top of houses, there are piles of garbage. the moment you 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 get out of the car it it stinks and and that odor it doesn 't go away and so it's really hard to live as a Christian even in the 21st century there are countries like that so imagine this being the case in the first century Christians were deeply persecuted they 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 endured hardships although this church was incredibly healthy they went through some incredible suffering and and here's the hard part of this letter Uh, When I was reading this letter, this, this just blew my mind. Jesus, he has a simple message to the church. He says, hey, don't give up. Be faithful unto death. That's really the summary of this letter, right? You know, be faithful until the end. Don't give up. And you would imagine Jesus would say, because, you know, the sun will shine tomorrow. Because, you know, no pain, no gain. Eventually, you know, your hard work will pay off. Or, you know, things, good things are going to happen. Maybe Jesus would say that. But if you read the letter, what Jesus says is uh, well, things are bad right now, but it's going to get worse. There's actually more suffering coming your way. It's this, this depressing message almost. Jesus is speaking to these persecuted Christians, and he's saying that, well, you know, moving forward, you're going to endure more persecution. And I want to remind you that this message is not just a message that was given to the church of Smyrna, but if you read through the New Testament, this is a message that is given to every Christian. In Matthew 24, verse 13, Jesus says, The one who endures to the end will be saved. Paul, who wrote one-third of the New Testament, he says in 2 Timothy 2, 12, If we endure, we will also reign with Jesus. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. And the book of Hebrews, the whole book is really about enduring to the very end. Looking at Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, Hebrews 10.36 says this, For you have a need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. So this message of endurance, holding on, remaining steadfast, Being faithful in the eyes of the Lord, despite of opposition and persecution, that's all over the New Testament. It's not just an isolated message to a church in the first century in the church of Smyrna, but it's a message that we need to hold on to as well. But the thing is, Jesus is not saying this because things are going to get better anytime soon. In fact, he says, well, it's going to get a lot worse, and maybe in America, We might not suffer under these types of of physical persecution. We do have the freedom to to come to church and worship God, but have you ever imagined what it's like to be a, a child these days, to sit in a science class and they're teaching about evolution and you raise your hand and you say, well, I believe in creationism. Can we talk about how God created the universe and what would the science teacher say? Well here we talk about facts, not faith, right? Uh, keep your religion in your household No, let's talk about what's true have you ever imagined what it would be like for someone sitting in a health class and now they're teaching and right now today they're literally teaching that gender is fluid and you raise your hand you said well the bible says that god created male and female and you're labeled as someone who's culturally insensitive to others. I'm not saying that we should lo- we shouldn't love uh, people who, who have a different view on gender. We should. We should care for them. We should pray for them. But if we are hated because we simply state what we believe, then there's something wrong with our society. On campus, you know, we have a couple freshmen here who people who are going to be freshmen in college and and I'm going to tell you um, if you don't follow the Christian values, if you just simply follow the ways of the world, it's going to be a lot easier for you on campus. Uh, so if you want to live an easy life on campus, just you know, don't listen to the Bible, listen to the people around you. Because when you... Talk about integrity, academic integrity. When you talk about okay, I don't want to party. I, I just want to, you know, be faithful to the Lord. You know, your friends are gonna respond to you. People around you are gonna say, well, you know, that that Jesus freak, right? You know, he has doesn't have an, any idea what fun is. He's just, you know, this holy, righteous person. Even at a workplace, the moment you talk about Christianity, a lot of times there's some 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 opposition that that you experience. You know, people say, well, this is a place of work. Don't bring your religion into, into this sacred place of work, right? And so in our culture today, maybe it's in a different form, in different ways, but we still face opposition. And what Jesus is saying is it's only going to get worse. It's going to be a lot easier if you just leave your faith and follow the ways of the world, if you want to live like that. But if you seek to follow Jesus, what's going to happen is you're going to face more and more persecution and opposition and the question is are you willing to follow jesus if you are in christ you will encounter hardship life will be difficult and the question is then how can we remain faithful in light of all this how can we keep our faith pure in light of all that's going on in our society and jesus says this I know you're suffering. I know things are going to get really, really bad soon. But don't give up. Remain faithful simply by having confidence in me. And that's kind of the main idea. In the midst of suffering, we can have confidence in Jesus. In the midst of suffering, we can have confidence in Jesus. Jesus doesn't say that things are going to get a lot easier. The situation is going to get a lot better. But he says you can have confidence in me. We have confidence in Christ in the midst of suffering because of three reasons. Number one, Jesus is the model of suffering. Jesus, he is the model of suffering. Look at verse 9. It says this, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich and the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. So Jesus says, I see your tribulation, the poverty, and also all the slander that's going on. And I also see behind that is there's this demon, the demonic force. Right? These people, they're not just evil, but there's an evil force behind them. It's, these Jews, they are like a synagogue of, of Satan. They do what the devil wants them to do. And Jesus says, I know all that. But I think it means something more than just information. Jesus is not just saying that, okay, I'm aware of what's going on. I see what's going on. But when he says, I know, he's saying, I know exactly what it's like to be in your position. I know what it's like to be in the middle of suffering. Now, in Hebrews 4.15 it says that, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted, as we are, yet without sin. There is nothing that you'll encounter in your life that Jesus did not encounter. You had a broken family. Well, Jesus, he lost his, his dad um, when he was young. He was, he was, he was untrusted by, by his, his brothers, you know, He had his mom see him die on the cross. You talk about a broken family, a messed up family. You think that you've been betrayed by people that you trust and love. Jesus, he invested in 12 men. He poured his life into these men. And what happened at the end? All all ran away. They denied Jesus. They betrayed Jesus. Jesus knows what it's like to go through suffering. He knows what it's like to live in slander, to face persecution, to live in hardships. He knows what it's like to live in poverty. Jesus never had a house, not a six-figure salary, no retirement plan. Day to day, he simply relied on the Father's grace. So he knows what it's like to live in poverty. Maybe some of you guys are having a hard time during COVID to pay the bills, to to be generous, to do the things that that you feel like God is calling you to do, and and trust in the Lord. Know that Jesus knows what it's like to live in poverty. When Jesus says, I know, he's not just saying, I know in a sense of information, I know by experience. And that is so, so comforting. He's saying, "I, I have been there, I've done that, and so I know how you feel. No, there are two lies that the enemy wants you to believe in, especially when you are facing trials and tribulations. The first lie is this: you are all alone and nobody understands you. You're all alone. Maybe you are you are in the state of depression. Maybe you are facing opposition at your workplace. Maybe no one gets you. No one is even caring for you. And what the enemy says to you is that you are all alone. Really, you're isolated. But notice today's passage, Jesus makes it very, very clear. No, I know. I've been there. I've done that. I know what you're going through. And the second thing that the enemy wants you to believe when you're going through suffering is this. Your suffering is because you lost favor in God's eyes. You are going through suffering because the favor of the Lord is not upon you. And because um, a lot of times when we go through righteous suffering, I'm not talking about, by the way, stupid suffering. or stupid suffering, foolish suffering is, is sometimes we walk in sin so badly that it destroys our body, it destroys our mind, it destroys our relationships. You know, when we commit adultery in, in, in our marriage and... We suffer the consequences, right? It gets really, really messy. That's not righteous suffering. That's foolish suffering. But I'm talking about righteous suffering. You are walking with the Lord. You are doing everything right. You are honoring God. You are, you are seeking to, to live for God's glory day after day after day. And for some reason, you face trials and tribulations and you are suffering suffering. And God says, well, it's, it's not necessarily because you're doing anything wrong. The enemy will tell you that, well, you're doing something wrong, so you need to fix something. Notice that this church is not doing anything wrong. They are one of the healthiest churches on the planet, but yet they are going through some of the most intense suffering. When Jesus says, I know, it's comforting because it allows us to see that suffering is not abnormal. It's actually a normal part of the Christian life. You know, um, looking back at all the years that I've lived, um, there are are many times when I suffered, but if I have to isolate one one, one incident, actually one of many, it's probably when I became a new parent. A lot of people told me it's going to be hard when when you have a child. It's going to stink. Right? It's going to be very, very difficult. But when you have a kid for the first time, and you are a new parent, the hard part about that experience is that nothing seems normal, right? Uh, a kid is crying day after day after day after day. You feed them, you, you change their diaper, you, 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 you do everything to entertain them, and yet they are crying day after day. They are waking up in the middle of the night every three hours two hours and you're like what am I doing wrong what did I do to deserve this and and I'm so worn out all these sleepless nights it is chaos my life is falling apart and then another parent comes up to you and tells you oh that's normal for about a year yeah that's absolutely normal you not getting any sleep that's normal I've been through that and I don't know if you understand this but that makes a world of a difference knowing that it's not necessarily that I'm going through this suffering because I'm doing something wrong or bad, but that's just part of the journey of being a parent, that you have sleepless nights where your child is just crying all night. When Jesus says, I know all that you're going through, what he's affirming is that suffering is not an abnormal part of the Christian life. It's a normal Part of the Christian life. And if you understand that, that makes hardships a little bit bearable. Now you can endure the things that are coming your way. Just think about the life that Jesus lived. He lived a life of suffering. He is the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. And when we say that we are Christians who are following Christ, what we are saying is we are following his footsteps, including suffering. So Jesus is the model of suffering, and because of that, we can remain faithful and have confidence in him. The second reason why we can't have confidence in Christ in the midst of suffering is this. Jesus, he is sovereign over our suffering. Look at verse 10. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. So Jesus, not only does he know the current state of this church, but he knows the future of this church. He says, well, I know that suffering is coming your way. You will be tested. Some of you will be thrown into jail. In fact, some of you are actually going to die. You're going to die for me. So remain faithful unto death. But notice the timing of the, the suffering. Jesus says, well, for 10 days you will have tribulation and like a lot of numbers in the book of Revelation, they are symbolic. They are rooted in Old Testament language. Um, this 10 days, it's, it's, I believe it's not a little 10 days, but it's a short period of time. It's not necessarily um, like a, a quick kind of turnaround of events, but it's, it's a bearable time. It's short enough where you can bear this event. And so he says, 10 days of tribulation is coming your way. And so those are real days of tribulation. Yet what Jesus is saying is, but it will be bearable. That you will be able to endure it. It's, it's not going to go on forever. No, Jesus, he is sovereign over suffering. He knows what's coming our way. He, he's not, never surprised at the events that we, we face in our life, nor the timing that, that, that it takes place. Notice that Jesus, he is well aware of the timing of this event, and he's also aware of the source behind this event. He says, well, behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, and that's so important to to understand, that Jesus, he's not the author of your suffering. He allows suffering, but the source of suffering is really the devil. Think about the book of Job. The devil, Satan, he was the one who came up with the idea, well, God... If you you take away all the blessings that you poured out on Joe's life, he will reject you. He will not be faithful to you. And and God gives permission um, to Satan to do what he desires to do. However, he he, he sets the boundaries, he says, but you cannot take Joe's life. In the same way, notice that Jesus, he allows the devil to work in in, in the lives of, of, of the church. However, he understands that he needs to put a limit to that suffering. God allows this suffering to take place in our lives, and that's hard to swallow. And I say that not lightly because I know what some of you guys go through day by day. I know some of the events that took place in your life. But notice that if it feels up to Satan, the devil, would he just tempt the church for 10 days? Would he just attack the church for 10 days? Probably not. Jesus, he puts a limit. He says, you know, Satan, you can have your way for these 10 days, but notice that there needs to be a limit. Now, why would God allow such suffering in our lives? We don't fully know for sure, but one reason is this. We know that suffering purifies our faith. Suffering, it purifies our faith. Just think about the moments where you really grew as a Christian. What were those moments? most likely the moments that you grew closer to God is the moments that where you were in desperate need of God the moments that you really needed God's grace the times of suffering the times of trials and tribulations those are the times where we go to God and 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 God he strengthens our faith he purifies our faith the devil he's seeking to destroy the church however the crazy thing is Jesus he is sovereign over the devil and over suffering that he turns that Thing around and he uses the means of destruction to a means of as a means of grace and he purifies us he sanctifies us he strengthens our our uh, faith in all that in moments where the, the it, it's times of suffering where the church has grown in church history it's times of prosperity where the church has crumbled and became just like the other part of society Jesus refines us in the midst of suffering so We can trust him. We can have confidence in him. But here's the last thing. Here's why we can have confidence in Jesus in the middle of suffering. He's not just the model of suffering. He's not just sovereign over suffering, but he is victorious against suffering. He is victorious against suffering. Look at verse 8. It says this, and to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. When life gets tough and you are going through hardships because you're living out your faith, always remember that the one that calls you, the one that you serve, is victorious over death. And he lives forever. He is the first, meaning that nothing comes before him, that he is the author and the creator of all things. And he is the last, meaning he's going to be the last one standing. When all fades away, when all gets destroyed, he alone is going to remain And that's the amazing promise that's given to a Christian because the Bible says that it's not just him who's going to remain, but anyone who's in him is going to remain forever. That's the hope that we have. Jesus is telling the church that you might face the first death, but in verse 11, but the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Death is a possibility in the Christian life. The first death is But when it talks about the second death, talking about eternal death, Jesus says, well, this world can kill you, destroy you, even take your life away, but they cannot take your eternal salvation. And therefore, remain faithful unto death. Do not fear what's coming your way, but rather look at Jesus, the conqueror, the author and perfecter of your faith. Notice that Jesus views things very differently. The world tells this church that they are poor, yet Jesus says, you guys are actually rich because you have this, this crown in heaven. You have riches stored in heaven. You have this reward waiting for you. You're making the best investment that you can make in this life. The world looks at this church and they say, well, this church is suffering. And Jesus says, well, you are remaining faithful. You are victorious. Jesus thinks things in a different way, and I believe that our church, we need to see things in a very different way. We have to have confidence in Jesus Christ. And then one pastor said it like this, if your ultimate goal in life as a Christian is to follow Jesus Christ, then suffering is not an obstacle on your way, it's an opportunity for you to become more like Jesus Christ. Because we understand that Jesus, he lived a life of suffering, obedience to the Father. And we understand that when you understand that, that's how far he was willing to go to love others, to, to, to love the church. Then when you face suffering, it's not an obstacle. It's an opportunity for you to grow. And when you are able to go through that suffering, the crazy thing is you can say to other people, I know what it's like. I know what it's like to go through suffering. You can comfort those who are under trial. You know, John, he is 80 plus years old at this point. He, he went through everything. He remained faithful. He was actually the one person who was at the cross. He, he wrote all these books. And at the end of his life, he's seeing all this persecution take place. And, 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 and he's on this island alone not in retirement, not on a vacation, but he's suffering, and he's able to say to these seven churches, I know what it's like, and Jesus knows what it's like, so remain faithful. Walk faithfully till the end. You know, uh, there is a story in church history that says um, later, a couple years later, in the second century, there's, there's a, a, a man named Polycarp, and he was a bishop of the Church of Samaria, not Samaria, but Smyrna. Um, and the legend says that this man, he lived until he was 84 years old. He, he met Christ. Uh, he gave his life for Christ. He did everything in his power to remain faithful at the end of his life. He's 84 years old, and, and he's about to die. Uh, he's, he's about to get executed. He's on this pole, and people are mocking him. People are saying, hey, if you just deny Jesus right now, I'll, I'll save you. And this is what Polycarp says at the age of 86. 86 years, I have, been, I have served Jesus, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? So they, they light up the pole, and, and in, dying in, that, in that scene when he was dying, people, the legend says that, that he was singing hymns to the Lord, singing, saying a prayer to the, for the people. Why? I believe it's because there was a a letter like this to the church of, of Smyrna where he was reminded that in the midst of present suffering, he can still remain faithful because his Savior is the one who conquered death, who conquered suffering, and the one who is sufficient at all times. So let's remain faithful unto death. Amen? Let's pray.